Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, I'm Mario Taniguzzi, and this is Calgary's podcast with uh, on Canada's podcast network. Joining me today is Robin Kovitz, who is president and CEO of Baskets. Uh, now, I know that Robin is based in Toronto, but she has a long history of being in Calgary. So that's why she's on Calgary's podcast. Thanks for joining us, Robin. Thanks for having me, Mario. It's such a treat to be here. Well, let's talk about baskets. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the company is and what you guys do. Sure. So we're Canada's leading purveyor of fine gifts. Um, we really connect people through the joy of gifting. And our gift baskets and boxes are perfect for any occasion, like the birth of a new baby or a big life accomplishment, or even just a birthday. We ship all across Canada and the U.S. In fact, we send lots of gifts to Calgary my hometown where I was born and raised. And we really aspire to make wow factor gifting quick and easy by sourcing the highest quality products using best in class systems and always providing top notch customer service. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the the growth of the company uh, over the last few years. And uh, you've won a few recognition uh, in that area as well. Yes. So I purchased the company in 2014 and it was at a time when I just had my first child and I was receiving a lot of gift baskets. Um, And I was really interested in the space. Um, And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if this industry was shook up a little bit, shaken up a little bit and sort of the product was elevated and the the process was easier. And so I had the great fortune of finding this platform to acquire. And then I've acquired some competitors and we're really trying to build it into the leader in Canada um, and sort of updating, updating the space. And so, yeah, we've grown considerably since 2014 and very pleased uh, to be recognized as one of the fastest growing companies in Canada two years in a row. Okay. Let's, uh, Let's backtrack for a second here, Robin, and talk about that that history uh, behind uh, you know 2014 coming around and and you buying the company. What were you doing before then, and uh, and uh, and uh, maybe why were you looking at buying a company? Sure. So I was born and raised in Calgary in the Southwest and grew up sort of evenings and weekends around my father's business, which was in protein manufacturing and distribution. Um, I came out west or out east to, uh, to study. Uh, finance at Queen's University. Uh, and then I, I joined, went to Bay Street. I think like a lot of Calgarians, I was sort of intrigued by Bay Street. And I worked in private equity and investment banking for many years. And then I turned, you know, the ripe old age of 30, like many women, where you reach that inflection point where I wanted to start a family, but also couldn't reconcile how that would jive with my career. And so I sort of thought back to my fondly on my days growing up in Calgary, walking around my dad's business and thinking, wouldn't it be neat if I could run a small business on my own where I could bring the baby and, you know, I, I would break the rules. So um, I could set my own hours, you know, the, the naive me, right. That thought being a business owner would be so easy. Um, <laughs> so fast forward, uh, that was the goal was to have more flexibility. Really. I wanted to work from home before the whole world started working from home. Wow. Okay. Then super. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the family business in, in Calgary, what it was and, uh, and uh, how you were involved maybe at a, a young age uh, with it? Sure. So my father uh, and his partner's business was called Centennial Foods, um, and it was started in 1967. It was purchased by my grandfather in the 70s and his partner. Um, and my father and his partner really grew it to be a huge company. It was several hundred million dollars in sales and employed several hundred people. Uh, and they were really innovative in the in the hamburger space. So for example, they made all the hamburgers for QSR chains like A&W. And then also at grocery retail, like for example, the Thick and Juicy Burger was something that they developed in partnership with Loblaws. All right. 
Why didn't you continue on with that business in that business? So my father and his partner ended up selling the business in, uh, you know, we always had this thing that uh, the family, you know, it's not, not guaranteed that you'd be offered a spot in the family business. You have to go out and learn something outside and, and show your value and then apply to work for the family business. And so I was sort of on that journey when um, actually my father and his partners sold the business. And so it wasn't an opportunity to join full time. All right. And when we look at baskets, uh, what's your vis- uh, vision for the future uh, for the company? I would love to grow baskets to be a large company like my father's. My dream has always been to hit 100 million in sales. Um, I think, especially right now, it's such an important time that we're learning that connect, human connection is more important than ever. And I think I love that Baskets is a vehicle to connect people. You know, I, I see, you know, gifts going to Calgary for, you know, parents sending it to their kids at, who are at UFC, who they really miss. And it's just a really a way, a beautiful, fun business of connecting people. And so I want to continue that. And I also want to create a really fun, great place to work. Um, you know, the kind of business that 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 wasn't, available to me, which is why I left my career on Bay Street, you know, a place where, you know, you can talk openly about wanting to be a mama and working and, and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. my goal is I'm here for the long term. I want to build this into one of Canada's great companies. I have an incredible team we're continuing to build and uh, just keep making people happy through the art of gifting. So when you made that transition um, back in 2014, what was the, what was the biggest challenge for you? Uh, in, in making that transition from what you were doing to to becoming an entrepreneur, becoming an owner of a company. Yeah, great question. I mean, there were, it was it was night and day, right, Mario? Because it was like you know, I, I went from being an analyst or an investment banker to managing people, and often and managing people much older than me um, in an industry that I was still learning. And so it was it was quite a shock. And then also, you know, in small business where there's the you know cash flow management and all other challenges that yeah. you're sort of dealing with all at once, uh, drinking from a fire hose. And I think uh, with entrepreneurship through acquisition, which is the way that I became an entrepreneur, which is by buying a business as opposed to starting one, I think you have the added challenge that it was someone else's baby. And so, you know, there's a team that was built by by the former owners and a set of systems and processes that were developed that way that are now all changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found it to be quite a shock. Uh, definitely was not a great CEO when I was sort of thrust into it, uh, but I've worked really hard over the last eight years to really become a great leader. And being an entrepreneur, uh, Robin, what are some of the key things that you uh, do you love about uh, uh, being an entrepreneur? It's it's such an interesting career path. And I the reason why I like to speak about it is because I, I really do want to encourage other women, especially women who want more life flexibility, to to look at this as a career path. Um, and in many ways, it's it's similar to becoming a mother, right? There's so much multitasking and you're on all the time. Um, so I think what I love about it is the excitement. I think every day is different. Uh, and if you're you enjoy solving problems, it's you're just constantly solving interesting and new dilemmas and problems. Um, the hard part, of course, is the down, the ups and downs. And, you know, yeah. uh, every day there's some sort of disappointment or, or problem I can't solve or someone saying no about something. And you have to really learn how to roll with it, let it roll off you and get back up. Mm. What about uh, you, you know, some of the, the, the biggest challenges, I guess, you, you faced as being a, an owner? And uh, obviously, you've gone through some uh, 
uh, you know, difficult times in the world, <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the pandemic and stuff. But what have been, you know, some of the biggest hurdles or obstacles that you've had to overcome being an entrepreneur? Yeah, another great question. I mean, just so many. And when I was, you know, in an office tower downtown, I didn't imagine these types of scenarios. So, for example, um, our Instagram account was hijacked by pirates and ransomed and we had to pay a ransom in Bitcoin. Oh. Like just, you can't even write a movie with these things, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. we, we had a, a container on that boat coming uh, from overseas that, that was caught on fire and sunk, <laughs> you know, just like the weirdest, strangest business problems. <laughs> and so, you know, then quickly figuring out how to, how to make and procure 40,000 bows without a lot of notice. <laughs> you know, yeah, because, yeah. So I think, you know, there are endless sort of interesting and, and crazy situations that I'm constantly dealing with. Throughout this journey, I, I guess, and, and becoming an entrepreneur for yourself, um, uh, besides perhaps your father, uh, did you have any other mentors out there that, uh, that um, either personally or mentors that, you know, uh, through books or something like that, that uh, you kind of followed and followed their advice? Yeah, so I'm really big on sort of working. You know, a lot of people work on their strength, or play to their strengths. I really work on my weaknesses, and so throughout my whole life, I've been so lucky to have tons of mentors in different areas um, who've really helped me get to where I am. I think, in terms of entrepreneurs, I really admire. Of course, there are many, but in in terms of female entrepreneurs, I really look up to Sarah Blakely uh, from Spanx in the U.S. I, you know, she's built a billion dollar business her way. Uh, and really shown that there is there is some value in sort of the female style of leadership. Um, you know, I look up to Whitney Hurd in the U.S. too, who just took Bumble public with a baby on her lap. Uh, in Canada, you know, Michelle Romana and Joanna from Nix are, is amazing, and uh, Michelle from Clear Clearco. Um, I think I think it's a new exciting time where these female entrepreneurs are changing the rules, and and it's going to be really exciting to see what comes out of the next ten years. Well, you mentioned uh, uh, female leadership uh, styles. Uh, how do you think uh, you're different uh, being a female? How do you think you're different in terms of uh, your managing of people compared to, say, a, a male counterpart? Yeah, it's. I think gender is pervasive. And so, you know, we're at such an interesting point in time where we're learning about sort of the spectrum of gender. But I think, you know, traditionally female style, you know, I, I can be maternalistic, I can be um, hot-headed. <laughs> I don't know if that's a gender gender thing, but I think I think being a mother in particular has really helped and influenced my management style. I really I really identify with certain things that like Adam Grant or Simon Sinek have written and just about, you know, actually I think some of the leadership philosophy is really rooted in military leadership that you really have a responsibility as a service leader. And if you don't care for the people you're leading, you don't deserve to lead them. Uh, and I see that sort of model um, as being quite feminine, I guess. Whereas, you know, I genuinely care about my team. I want to help them be the best they can be. Um, you know, when I was a young CEO, I think I used to get frustrated or angry. And now it's more like talking to your child, right? What's wrong? What's going on? Why did you miss this deadline? Mm. Um, so that yeah. real sort of maternalistic, I think, is a feminine approach to management. Would you encourage your children to become entrepreneurs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm still in the middle of it. <laughs> Can we talk in 10 years? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. What what advice would you give, though, uh, if, if, if somebody uh, young, uh, well, not necessarily young, uh, but just somebody new uh, wants to become an entrepreneur, what advice would you give them? 
I would say to just go for it. I think I, I have the great uh, privilege of, of counseling a lot of uh, MBA students and other people who are thinking about entrepreneurship. And often I find, you know, that you can get stuck in that paralysis of what if, what if I fail or what if I can never get another job? Um, and I would say, you know, some part of, you know, obviously calculated risk, but some part of this, you just have to believe that you're going to be successful and go all in and give it your best shot for mm -hmm. X period of time um, to kind of, my advice would be to just go for it and get out of that analysis paralysis of all the things that could go wrong. Do you think there's uh, certain qualities that, uh, and, and personality types that make for a good entrepreneur? I do. And, and I think... Uh, some of the key qualities that I think you need to be a good entrepreneur aren't my natural strengths. And so I'm constantly fighting and working to try and find coaches and mentors to help me improve. For example, I think you have to be really good at, at sort of half doing things like done is better than perfect. Uh, I'm naturally more of a perfectionist. I'd like to read things over and over and make sure they're perfect. I think as an entrepreneur, you don't have that luxury and it's more important to be thoughtful about your output. Obviously, you can't be careless, but really balancing that better to get things executed over having them perfect, the whole concept of the MVP sort of in venture capital. Um, so I think, yeah, being comfortable with sort of doing things at a high level and executing a bias to action, I think makes for a very strong entrepreneur. Mm. I wanted to uh, go back a little bit to motherhood uh, because I found it interesting because as uh, so for all our listeners here, I, I talked to Robin uh, recently for another uh, story and uh, I just found her story quite fascinating about how uh, motherhood changed, uh, you know, uh, feelings about uh, the careers and career path. And 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 uh, coincidentally, Robin, a couple of weeks after we talked, uh, I had almost the exact same conversation with a lady in Calgary named Emma May, who uh, who was a lawyer, uh, also a, a very strong uh, political uh uh, person, she was uh, almost like um, uh, in uh, Premier uh, Jim Prentice's government uh, as an advisor type uh, role with uh, the Prentice, uh, and then she started up a real estate company, being a realtor. Uh, but everything changed, uh, you know, uh, over time, uh, you know, and uh, because of motherhood. And she is now a fashion retailer. She runs a company called Sophie Grace. But I thought that was an interesting story. It was very similar to yours, you know, uh, uh, in, in many ways. Uh, do you think uh, we're going to see more and more opportunities now for, for women uh, that who become mothers to, to look at entrepreneurship as a, as a career path, as opposed to being a lawyer, being an investment banker, uh, uh, or, you know, that nine to five, uh, 17-hour day job type thing. Yeah, I think we're at a very exciting time with the rise of things like Shopify, which make it so lowers the barrier to entering to entry to starting a business. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of rise of the side hustle where a lot of people are doing little shops and things on their own at sea, for example. Um, yeah, I really do think that women are are uniquely suited to be entrepreneurs. And I think we're at a point in time of society and technology and information where it's it's sort of a perfect moment in time. And I'm excited to see what the next 10, 20 years looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, 10 years ago, when I set out to do this, there was no way I could have raised money, Mario. Like I would have been laughed out of the room. And to see someone like Joanna Griffiths from Nix raise $53 million while pregnant with twins is just mind blowing. And it, you know, I have an 11 year old daughter, so I'm very excited to see what this means for her. Um, I am so excited to see what the next, the next level of entrepreneurship means for women. I think a few things still need to continue to evolve. Um, I think, for example, uh, the venture capital 
world has done a great job of exposing the bias that exists and how, how much more difficult it is for women to raise venture capital. And I think something that I'm working on is really exploring how, how much more difficult it is for women to raise debt capital too. I think there is um, sort of an inherent bias of, can you do this while you're a mom, while you're this, that's this gender bias that I think really is prevalent that hopefully will erode over the next decade. Okay, super. Uh, so, Robin, before we uh, we sign off here, I'm just curious that, you know, you're obviously quite busy <laughs> being an entrepreneur and owner of a, a, a national, uh, international brand, so to speak, uh, and obviously being a mother and with, with children. Uh, do you have time to, you know, uh, to do anything else? <laughs> like, do you have any other interests uh, besides work and family? Or I do. I do. I, I can't pretend to have a lot of balance right now in my life because <laughs> between my kids and my business, which I affectionately call my third child, there's not a yeah. lot. And my husband, there's not a lot of time left over. Um, but yeah, I really, I love playing soccer. Um, I love watching my kids play sports and I really love designing. So baskets fills that sort of itch for me. So a lot of the sort of designs and things are, are more my passion and hobby and their time in quotes. So you do uh, much of the designing as well. Yes, I do. Wow. Where does the inspiration come for these? All over the place. Pinterest, <laughs> walking down the street, House and Home Magazine, love Linda Reeves. Um, yeah, I just think I'm inspired to come up with really high quality things that I would love to be gifted. Okay, then. So that's kind of the, uh, using the both sides of the brain, I guess, right? The, the, the creative side and the logical side, right? Yes. Design is my hobby, for sure. Okay, super then. Anything else uh, you wanted to mention, uh, Robin, before we close today? I think I just wanted to thank you again for this opportunity, Marianne, also the, the article that you did, which was so lovely. And I wanted to kind of close with just a little note for Calgarians. Um, I remember, you know, being in Calgary and being so intimidated by the rest of the world because it seems like sometimes it can feel like Calgary is small and that the rest of the world is unachievable. And I just want to say, like, go for it. Uh, you know, here I moved to Toronto and made a go of it. I know so many Calgarians who have moved to other New York or other big cities and done things. So obviously Calgary is an incredible city. And if you want to stay there, that's great too. But if you have aspirations of going somewhere, don't, uh, don't stop yourself. Go for it. All right. Super. Thanks, Robin, for joining us today. Thanks, Mario. All right. That was Robin Kovitz, who is president and CEO of Baskets. I'm Mario Tanagusi. This has been Calgary's podcast on Canada's Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today.